Hey, I'm Sawyer Vanenhuvel, and this is From the Hill, a place where we dig into the hard work of unearthing our stories. In today's episode, we get to sit down with Jolene Letcher. Jolene is an entrepreneur, advocate, community builder, and change maker. Jolene graduated top of her class from Northwestern University and received her MBA in Global Executive Leadership from the University of Nebraska. She is a Presidential Leadership Scholar, an active alumna of the Coca-Cola Scholars Foundation, and recently named to the Civil Society Fellowship, a partnership of ADL and the Aspen Institute. Jolene lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota with her husband, Nate Burdine, their daughter, Liberty, and Pug, Mayhem Awesome. I am so excited to jump into today's conversation where we learn how to find the joy out of devastating pains and losses and use those moments in our lives to inspire real action for change. But before we begin, I want to note that this episode contains conversations around sexual abuse and sexual assault. If you or someone you may know have been affected by abuse or assault, please know that this episode may trigger past traumatic events. With that said, let's continue our climb up the hill and meet today's guest, Jolene Letcher. Hey, Jolene. Uh, thanks for being here today, and it's so good to be with you. Um, I just wanted to begin our conversation today just by opening the mic up to you. And I've known you for a few years now, but just wanted to pass it to you and have you tell us your story. Well, we've known each other, yeah, a couple years. But then I think you wrote something about me once, like before we actually knew each other. Is that true? Probably. Do you remember? I think, yeah. yeah, that you had some like website or something, but I didn't see it till maybe a year, a year and a half ago for some reason. Oh, yeah. funny. Wait, Sawyer knew me? So, yes. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I grew up uh, kind of a farm kid and my family's farm. Um, I think I'm like the fifth generation. We, my, my grandpa came over, my great, great grandpa. And I'm really bad with ancestry, like actually getting it right, but sort of somewhere in the family tree. Um, he saved up some money, put it in a peach tin and rode across on a train and bought land. And that's uh, if people could actually see you, you're sitting behind a picture of the farm, which is where um, like I say, that is my my place where my soul is whole. Like it's, it's amazing. So, um, I grew up, uh, kind of a farm kid did the classic turn 18. And of course, you know, everything at 18, I mean, it's amazing how much, you know, right. <laughs> and so, uh, I turned 18 and I went to Northwestern university and majored in journalism, decided I was going to go into uh, TV news. It's when I got a job in Sioux Falls. That was my first full-time job. I worked actually in news before that. My first on-air job was at 19 years old in Sioux City, Iowa. So I started actually out as a reporter at 19. So summers, breaks, all of that. I was a full-fledged reporter. And then um, my my real true job, once the student loans kicked in and I had to, to pay those back, uh, was in Sioux Falls. So I was a reporter. Uh, I did courts and cops, which was kind of the the catchphrase for doing all the, the crime beat reporting way back in the day. And um, really, really enjoyed that, but then kind of felt called to do something different. So I went into communications on the corporate side. And as I was doing that and I was getting my MBA, 
decided that I really wanted to try and do something for me. I wanted to see what I could build and what could I grow. And so out of that, um, we created Mud Mile Communications, which is my kind of full-time pay the bills job uh, that I run with my husband. And um, he and I both come from that same world of journalism and news. I was a TV reporter and he was a camera guy, which is so cliche. I mean, it is completely, there's, there's like the Robert Redford movie, which I don't even remember, but the whole premise, but essentially like you know, reporter, photographer, they fall in love. He makes her look good. He made me look tall. It was, you know, love ever after. But um, yeah, so that that's kind of was like my career trajectory. But then overlaying that um, growing up, I was abused by a family friend. And um, like my my survival was boxing it, right? You box it, you pack it, you build a wall, you, that's how I went on. Um, but you can only, you can only create a barrier so strong that holds back pain that large. Eventually it chips through, it breaks away. And, um, when I was getting my MBA at the time, so I was working full time, we were starting a company and then I was getting my MBA. I had sat down with my professor or my advisor, who's also one of my professors at the time. And, you know, I think about like how, how beautiful it is that God's plan comes in a way you don't expect it. Right. And we sat down and we were talking about where I grew up and the people that I knew and the people she knew. And she says this name. Like, I didn't think there was anything in how I reacted that, that, that would have reflected what I was feeling on the inside, but there clearly was. And so she just says, Jolene, what happened to you? And I was like, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. Right. And it was in her, in her words and in her love and in her compassion that like she put a sledgehammer to that wall. Um, and so then for me, it was this flood of emotions and processing and how do you put purpose to this pain? And, um, so through that then started speaking about being a survivor of child sexual abuse and, and trying to make sure that my story, my, my hope is that my story would be the last story like mine, that there would never be one like that again. And so uh, in South Dakota, we created jo Jolene's Law in uh, 2014. And today out of that, um, the state has enacted a 10-year plan to end uh, child abuse and child maltreatment. So that's that's kind of my my passion work, my 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 purpose work, so to say. And then um, obviously I get to go, do amazing work telling stories in 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 and with um, our, our other company. And then I get to be a mom. That's kind of my world. To liberty. To liberty. My fiery, feisty little redhead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for for sharing that and um, going back into that that trauma. Um, was that kind of the catalyst for you to get involved with politics or um, kind of putting that pain, as you said, to purpose? Um, did you ever think that you would run for office or anything like that or get involved with what you've done in the past recent years? No, I think for me at first, it was about changing 
um, saving and changing lives. And what did that look like? And I knew that I had, um, I had an ability to tell my story, right? Going out in public and telling my story or being on a stage didn't scare me or intimidate me. And so I knew that other people needed to hear they weren't alone in that experience. Um, but then how could I take that to do more? And so when I was working through a lot of the legislative work, initially it was around ending statute of limitations on rape cases. That was in 2012, my first kind of foray into this world of advocacy and policy change. And it opened my eyes because we were doing what was fundamentally and in, in, in every, um, in every way it was the right thing to do. And yet we still had resistance. And it, you, you sit in a room and you tell people and you pour out your story and you show your pain and you, 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 you rip open the wounds so that some good comes of it. And then people who have been given this immense trust to be in public office don't do what they should when they were entrusted to be public servants, right? They become politicians, not public servants. And I saw that initial work with the statute of limitations removal where we almost lost it and almost slipped away. And I think that was a, that planted a seed for me that because we had a couple good advocates, that legislation passed. Um, and then in 2014, we passed Jolene's law. In 2015, we had gone back to get more funding for it. And it was killed in committee by several legislators. Um, and to this day, I can still name names of who it was. I mean, I remember sitting in there and thinking like, you have been given this immense uh, possibility, potential. Like I, I can't even give it words for the blessing you have to make people's lives better. Like the power of that. And you're not doing it. And, um, and because we did have a couple good legislators and we had a governor, Governor Dugard at the time, who also just fundamentally believed this was the right thing to do for children. Um, we were able to get that work continuing to move forward because of that, because of a few good people, um, today in the state of South Dakota, we have more than 30,000 people, 30,000 people who have been trained in how to identify and report child abuse. Like that's an immense number when you think about the population of the state. And that's yeah. because a few people, like 30,000 people, it got to there because three, four people fought, fought for something they didn't even know how it would end. And it hasn't ended. It keeps going. Um, so I think for me, I was doing that work. I was seeing the power of one person or several people to advocate for change. And I knew that work was moving into a place where it would have a, a, a much more structured system to keep it going. And I was really now tasked with the question of how do I serve? Um, and that for me, like my grandparents and um, my family had always raised me that the, the foundation of your faith is service, right? Our actions are how we show the world that we are Christians, right? You know, it's not how much you can put in the offering plate. It's not how you dress. It is how do your actions serve? And um, that, that lesson was really haunting me in this point of like, okay, what's next? How do I serve? 
And um, we knew that there was a mayor's race coming up and a city council race, uh, I think a couple open seats. And that was sort of like, okay, well, maybe that's what I do. Right. Maybe that's what the next calling is, is to run, not necessarily to win, but to run. And, and how do you um, how do you affect change? So that's that's how I decided to run for office. Wow. And Liberty was we started talking about it when she was five weeks old and we formally announced when she was four months old. Wow. So I was um, like I had this immense blessing of being a mother for the first time. And like how overwhelming it was to realize I, I wanted to affect change. Just, I wanted to affect change. Like it, it called me, um, it still does. It calls me down to my spirit, but also my child, like I owed it to my child. Mm-hmm. Kind of, as you're talking, I keep remembering about the different kinds of power out there and, um, politicians, maybe enforce power over people, but you're kind of in the power with and coming up from the ground. And I think that's just a real true gift in, in public leadership and public service. And I can just see that kind of all throughout your life so far. Yeah. I think it's for me, it's the thread, you know, the, the thread of my, the foundation of my life is my faith, but my faith is built on a fabric of service. And that's what you know, whatever I do, it has to harken back to that. It has to go back to, um, it has to go back to that farm, right? That, that farm, um, that I was raised on that place where my, my soul is whole. It has to go back to the lessons I learned there, which were, you know, at the end of your days, what have you given to make others better? So let's talk about the the campaign a little yeah. bit in the mayor's race. What what were some things that you learned along the way? And um, maybe for the people that don't know you, what was the result? <laughs> well, the result is I didn't win. Um, I It was, we went into it completely naive. We, we, we just, we didn't know what we didn't know. And um, I am, you know, my, my partner in life, Nate, is like such an amazing champion with me. And I had a family around me, my, my mother-in-law, who's absolutely amazing. And, um, we just said, we're going to go into this and we don't know how it's going to end, but we're just going to lean into it. And our commitment at the beginning was that, and I've talked about this before, is that I answer to three people and whatever decision I made in that campaign, if I couldn't answer to Nate, liberty and God, none of it was worth it. If I couldn't stand before them and say, I did what I did because it was right, then it wasn't worth it. Then we were, we were out. Um, and so it was, it was an incredible lesson in the way you think the world works and the way it really does. And it was such an interesting time too, because that was 2018. Um, and the, the divisiveness that that had sowed itself in um, really across this country, right? There wasn't a community that was immune to it, though I think a lot of us thought maybe we were. Uh, it just it was it was embedding itself. You know this this odd idea that there was a unity and division, and not a beautiful way, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so we 
you know, we went into it for the experience and with the goal that this was about serving. That was, that was the goal. Um, you know, lessons learned, like it got dark, it got hurtful. Um, it tested my faith in a way that, uh, I, I've never, you know, even, even having been through, um, having been abused, um, the, you know, at the, at the, at the lowest points where, um, I had attempted suicide, like I never doubted, I never blamed God and I never doubted God because those, the bad things that happened were not God's hand, right? Um, God's hand was the one that held me. Mm-hmm. But like the campaign part of it, like I had that to kind of stand back on or, or, or reflect on, but the campaign would get really dark where I'm like, well, how do people, how can people say these things or do these things, but then still say they're Christians? And I think it, that really hurt me. It hurt me. Um, like one of the first emails I got when I lost was this is exactly what you deserve because you believe that God loves gay people. Mm -hmm. Like the very first email I got. Wow. And I just thought, whoa. Um, I had, you know, I had an opponent that had, had a congregation organize to come like find me at events and tell me that God wanted me raped. And like, it, it took a lot of me having to remember to have grace to forgive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and when it was all done, I had a a really good friend. She said to me, she goes, Joe, the thing you got to remember is Jesus himself would never win an election. (laughs) (laughs) He was political. He was political. Um, and so like it was, it was a lot of, was lessons in that, but there were beautiful, beautiful lessons in it. Right. Like, I, I knew because I lost, I knew, I know who my friends are. And, um, that's a, that's a, there's something so true and beautiful in knowing that on your worst days, there are people like you, Sawyer, that are there despite having lost that experience. Um, it allowed me to engage and meet people who became incredible friends and then to realize they were truly friends Mm -hmm. and not many people get that experience in life to go. That's exactly who will be by me Mm -hmm. if I need it. You touched on something that I'm been trying to figure out is like people that say they are Christian and um, don't always show that they are Christian. Like I just, I'm trying to figure that out. And um, that's part of what I've been studying in school um, with this civic action course that I'm in. And I don't have the answer, but I'm, I'm trying to f- trying to figure out and how we can unite instead of divide and work together for that kind of wholeness that God calls us into. It's for me, it's one of the haunting questions out of, out of that experience and out of any of my like political engagements. Well, I guess we'll call them that. Like even through my policy work and, and through, you know, it's, it's sometimes I just wonder, how do you pray at night? Not, not like, how do you, but like, 
I just, maybe, I don't know. Look at that. I, I usually have a lot of words. So I, I don't have one. I don't have any right now. And I, I feel like it hurts me. Mm-hmm. It hurts me. Um, like it, it pains me to see the hurt that other people have mm-hmm. and, and the way that they, they twist Right. The goodness of God's love. And somehow we're supposed to love our enemies. And, we and that's the know. hardest thing ever. <laughs> I, it was, uh, you know, it was really, it was, it was a fascinating exercise through social media. So we were, we were a scrappy little team. And by little, I think it was Nate and myself. That was pretty much it up until like the last eight, 10 weeks of the campaign. So I was doing all the, either myself or Nate were doing all the social media responses and we were, and, um, there were times where like people would write things and my thing was always like, I will respond, right? I'm going to write back. And sometimes I'd literally have to be like, okay, I'd pull out. Um, it's actually, so one of my go-to Bibles, it's, it's precious moments. Do you remember precious moments? Yeah. I, they're like these little chintzy, I don't, they're, they're super sort of pseudo creepy. Um, <laughs> like eighties figurines. So I had a precious moments Bible and it was, um, it was one that I got years and years ago when I was a kid. And that was for whatever reason, like that was my go-to one. Cause I think it like, there was something about the pictures and the simplicity and everything. And there were times I'd be like reading these comments. I'm like, Lord, how do I not just fly off the handle? Right. How do I show grace? How do I, and like, I'm like, okay, that's, that's the one I'm going to turn to. And maybe it's because it harkens back to like this younger self where, um, you know, we see the world much simpler and, um, it's yeah. So there, there you go. That's my, my precious moments. If you had a bingo card references, precious moments, figurines. (laughs) So let's talk about kind of after the campaign. Um, I know you went on to be a presidential leader scholar and like, that's really cool. So what, tell us about that and what, uh, what was your experience and what did you learn? Um, oh goodness. Yeah. So I got to be, uh, well, I still am. So presidential leadership scholar, and it's this amazing program that is put together through, uh, the libraries and the, the foundations and the administrations of, um, president George HW Bush, uh, George W Bush. So 41, 43 president Clinton and, uh, president Lyndon Johnson. So their administrations and actually them, um, the, those that are alive. So at the time I went through it, president Bush and president Clinton, um, actually spent time with us and it was one of the, one of the most, um, healing experiences. I, I had left that campaign, not sure of what was next. And I needed the opportunity to be reminded that there are really good people in the world a lot of really good people. And there were 60 people that came together to remind me that there are really good people, um, in the world and, uh, had these amazing conversations and these amazing friendships out of that program. But then also, you know, it's not very often that you lose a mayor's race and then get to go have dinner with a president. And so those are always kind of humbling. (laughs) It's pretty humbling to be like, okay, I didn't, I, I didn't lose, right? Like I didn't win that election, but I sure didn't lose. Like you're going to dinner with President Bush and President Clinton, or you're getting to spend time with Secretary Madeleine Albright. Um, like she, she wrote this 
beautiful. So she's signed, signed some books. Um, and she, we, I had written her this email, um, just kind of sharing with her my experience of being a mother and all that. And she wrote back this amazing letter to us. And so um, she actually gave recommendations for books for Liberty to read. Oh, that's so cute. Which is really, really cool. Um, And I think like my big takeaways out of that from, from spending time with um, President Bush and President Clinton were that, you know, I think the obvious is they're just, they're just people. They're just men. Right. Um, which I think is, should be pretty obvious, but then we, we, we get the person and the office mm-hmm. and then, you know, that, that gets kind of convoluted in it. But, um, I loved, I just, I loved getting to, to see how they've continued to serve. And I think president Bush is a really amazing story where once he was out of office, now he started painting. And so he has this new book out of one many and several of my friends from the PLS program are actually featured in it. It's this amazing story of immigration and, and how uh, the roots of this country, where they, they come from and some of the people that tell those stories. Um, and he, uh, in one of the conversations he talked about, and so we can't really talk about a lot of what we talk about because that's part of the premises that you get to have these off the record conversations. Um, but his faith was so strong. And so wherever you, you fell, I think on politics and the decisions that he made at the time that he made them, um, I think you, you couldn't spend time with him. You can't spend time with him and not be touched by the fact that he very much is, um, is committed to his faith and the active cultivation of his faith, right? Not assuming that it is something static, but knowing that it is a dynamic force. And that you have to nurture it and really grow it. Um, we can't take it for granted. And he talked about just even his parents and his mom and and how um, how much that was instilled in him. And so, you know, for me personally, did I agree with a lot of the decisions that he may have made across his across his administration? Um, some yes, some no. But to understand the lens that he used and his foundation and and how strong his faith was in guiding him. I think it affirmed for me uh, the the things that I did and the reasons that I did them and why I did them. Wow. Not everyone gets to have dinner with the president. No. And you know, it was funny. One of them, one of the meals, Nate Nate got to be in the room, but he wasn't at the table. (laughs) And so he still jokes to this day. He's like, yeah, I was across the table. So I wasn't, he was like across the room or something. So, yeah. Kind of touched on this a little bit earlier about in 2018, you started seeing this divisiveness and stuff going on. And I think this past year and a half, um, it's been one of the most challenging years for for many people, including myself. Um, it's left millions of empty chairs around tables uh, with deaths to COVID-19. We've had a reckoning with uh, systemic racial injustice in this country and the power of police and communities and all this stuff. And lately, we also see how fragile democracy is uh, with January 6th and all of that stuff living in our brains now of this past year. So it's really easy to lose hope in this time. Um, so in our democratic ideals, so how, how can we have hope? Um, you know, selfishly for me, like my, my hope is in a little child named Liberty. Mm-hmm. 
you know, every morning I get to go in. Well, now she's big enough. She comes in and gets me. And, you know, like I get to see hope and potential in a child who sees anything as possible. And right now that means she thinks she can be a dinosaur and that she's going to be a doctor when she's 11, but that's after she goes to the moon when she's 10. And, um, so I think selfishly, I have, I have hope living here under my roof every day. I think that's, that's amazing. Um, and so to scale that out though, like, where do we find the seeds? Where do we find the moments that despite a a world and a nation that is, um, it's heavy, right? There's pain and there's hurt and there's darkness. And that that's on, on, you know, I, I try and understand the the pain and hurt is not on one side, right? It, it lives on all sides. And when you, you talk about like, how do we find hope in these times and how do we wrestle with it? I go back to a moment in the campaign I had when we were at Benson's flea market <laughs> and I'm not going to sing the jingle. Um, but this man came up to me and so we were doing this meet and greet and this man came up to me and, and he said, I want you to know I voted for Donald Trump. And I thought, Oh, okay. And, and Sawyer, I, that wasn't who I voted for. Um, and I, I remember in my mind thinking, okay, well, great. What comes next? What's he going to say? How do you know? Oh, can he just, can he just move on? Cause I don't want to get into this. I don't want this to be what I thought it was going to be. And I said, oh, well that, that's nice. You know, everybody has a different opinion and he stops me. Sawyer, he stops and he looks at me and I still can see his face. And he looks me straight in the eyes and he says, don't you want to know why? <sighs> wow. And like, boom, you want to be humbled. You want to be, you want to be ripped from whatever pedestal you think you may, you know, wherever you think you are, you have someone plow through what you were trying to push past, right? What you presumed. And I I just thought, oh, maybe I should ask why, right? And so I said, well, well, why? And he goes, well, because I need something to change. I voted for Barack Obama and I voted for Hillary Clinton and I voted for Donald Trump because I need something to change in my life. I need something to go right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. Don't you want to know why? Don't you? And I was like, yeah. And I go back to that so often. And when you talk about like, where do we find hope? I think part of the hope is just stopping and going, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Help me understand why. I think we've been asking that a lot. This We this have. Year. And, yeah. why? and why? why? And like, you know, what, what is the, what, you know, to in a larger existential sense, like what is why? 
Why are we in this moment? Why have we come to this point? What is the test that we are being put through as a nation in, in our um, in the in democracy? Why why are we being called as communities to confront um, abuses and murders? Like why? And then what are we what are we supposed to do with it? And I think the fact that we still have the agency to ask why and then to do something is where the hope lives. The hope is in the why and the power to then follow up. Right? Why, why was I abused and raped as a child? Now, I mean, in a larger sense, I, I don't have an answer to that. But, but maybe, maybe then what comes out of it is it was to be sure it didn't happen to other people. Right? God didn't want that to happen to me. Um, that wasn't God's plan. It was man's action. But now the why is why, why did God make me strong enough to do something with the pain? You got some tenacity in you. (laughs) (laughs) That's one word. I don't know. To keep going, uh, to turn, yeah, to turn pain into, to something, you know, beautiful. So it doesn't wilt away and die, but something else blossoms out of that, that moment. And, um, that's what I'm trying to kind of figure out this past year. What do we take from this awful, like horrible death year? It's been, I think about, I have a a good friend and his, um, I was just texting him a couple days ago and his dad died of COVID very early on. And, um, so it's been a year. And he is a legislator and he has taken that pain and that loss and propelled it into policy to protect meatpackers mm-hmm. and to protect, you know, to, to work on mask education. And, um, you know, it's, it's, no one would want those bad things to happen. He didn't want to lose his dad, but how powerful that he took that pain and how many people did he protect or save? How many fathers did he did he keep with families because of that? Um, I, these the last year ish. What are we at? Fourteen months, fifteen months? Like I can't something like that, right? Um, there's parts of me that get very angry about it. I feel like I've lost time, and then other parts that are like, okay, you have to understand. You, you have, there are people that truly have lost time, mm-hmm. right? That aren't with us. Um, there are names that their last breath was taken under a man's knee. Like that's, that's not right. There, there's nothing right in any of those things. There's nothing right in, in, in Tony's dad having taken his last breath because COVID took it away, right? There's nothing, nothing right in, um, George Floyd having to have gasped for air and cried out for his mom. Like that, that is not right. And so how do we take that, that weight and do something with it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love, it's one of the reasons I love like bodybuilding and powerlifting. And it's the idea that you will physically put yourself under true weight and you have to force yourself past it. Mm -hmm. Right. And the only way your body gets stronger is to literally 
tear the muscle fiber and then bring it back together and it's stronger. And then I think about that in a a, a social context Mm -hmm. as a society, you are always, you know, we put that weight on our back to lift it up, to be stronger. I keep seeing this thread throughout our our conversation uh, today. And one of the things that, you know, it reminds me of is, um, I don't know if you've read the book, Become America or heard of Eric Liu. Yes. Stuff at all. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I attended um, one of his, so he actually came in for one of our PLS events, right. Well, I say right before COVID, but it was in October of 2019 that, um, we were able to have a small group. Um, and he, he held one of his civic, civic Sundays, civic Saturdays, civic Saturdays. And so he held one on a civic Saturday for us and it was a small group and it was, and it was an amazing experience and just the context that he gave it. Yeah. Yeah. So he, basically talks about like we have this civic religion basically there are these tenets of our american democratic society that we hold ideal like for liberty justice and freedom for all um that's core to us and somehow on all sides republican democrat independent we all want that for our country um and so he writes about in one of his his sermons and he asked this question and it's the same question that's kind of popped in my head over the year. And it, he goes, what are we made of? Are we cruel and different people or are people with basic decency? Do we stand when others won't or do we bend like serfs to power? Then he goes on to say, we Americans are made more than fear. We are made of more than shame. We are made of more than loss and pain. So instead of losing out to fear, Lou says that we can look for joy. And I think that's something I've been trying to find over this year is where's the joy? So he says that joy is a generative spirit that emerges when there is underlying trust, respect, imagination, openness. Joy is a symptom that we haven't given in. So what do you think of his statements there? Yeah, I think it's that idea that we still have to find hope. We still have to believe in hope. We have to, um, you know, I think about we can choose to break down or we can break through. And sometimes in the moment, we don't know which it will be, right? It's like, what is it going to to be? Who will we be made of? Um, and I think as a, as a country, we, we go through this ebb and this flow. I know I'm, I'm, we're audio and I'm doing hand motions here, (laughs) but like, um, as, as a nation, we have, we have good times and we have bad times and, you know, but part of it is for some people, it's good at one time and bad. And, you know, it's always a little bit of everything, but there's always this idea that there is something more that it will turn the corner, right? Lose joy. If we find the joy, look what could be. Um, And, you know, I think about running for office and I I say to anyone, you should do it. You should run for office. And then, well, what if, what if I lose? What a joy to know that you live in a country where you could run. Um, What a joy to know that maybe you do win. And so I think, um, 
his, if anyone has an opportunity to go through a civic Saturday there, it's, it's a really powerful experience um, because he sort of brings back that old world sort of um, revival, kind of the tent idea and which we don't experience mm-hmm. and we don't experience in a, in a true, you know, pure religious form anymore. Mm-hmm. And the, the really great thing, and one of the reasons his event really resonated with me even more so in hindsight was that it is community and, um, right. And, and the joy of the joy of knowing that you have a shared experience. Um, and so I think that's, that's really powerful too, mm-hmm. that you can, um, like we as a nation are going through this divided. Yes. But, um, hopefully there is a togetherness. Hopefully there is a learning out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I often wonder like, how will our children see this time? What will be their looking back on it? What will be the lesson that comes out of it when they, they go, Oh, this is what made it better. This is how they propelled forward. This is what they did. Mm-hmm. We're at that pivot crux yeah. in the world that we'll study about in history books, and, you know, of how did they get out of the Great Depression? I mean, there had to been hard work and sacrifice and somehow there was a lift to something better. Yeah. So maybe this is our chance to Step away from our screens. Yep. Disconnect. Make sourdough bread. Make sourdough bread. Yeah. (laughs) And I think there was, especially early on in the pandemic, I remember this kind of like life feeling like it had hearkened back to a simpler time, right? You didn't have to be rushed to be somewhere, Um, which is kind of like I pulled out all my old cookbooks and, and we did some of that stuff together. And so I think there are there are some parts of that that we take with us, we carry forward. My my hope, my joy is that people have learned, they've grown, like they will step out that door and they will be something will be different. Maybe they will understand that the world for them as um uh as, you know, a, a white person is different. And maybe they will be more committed to, you know, doing, doing what needs to be done to find equity or opportunity and not just have let 14 months have passed by on a calendar to be that time you just look back on and go, oh yeah, I remember when, but instead to be like, I remember when and became, that's what I hope. I just want to close with, uh, with a quote from Cornell West, American philosopher. And so he says, maybe you've heard this, but he goes, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. So what, what to you is love in public? Mm. So I just, I know you talked to Julian Mm -hmm. for your podcast um, prior to this. And I just had a conversation with him this morning. And I think this this story, it will seem very trivial in the moment, um, to me sums up like love, love in public. So our dog, our dog mayhem, don't name your dog mayhem. It's a bad choice. They live up to it. Uh, she's blind. She's deaf, the whole host of issues. So she had slipped out of the house last night and, um, 
door had blown open. She slips out. She gets probably like a, a block away. And Julian's daughters, Jemiah and Jalea, saw this dog running. And they went and they got the dog and they ran back and they saw my mother-in-law and, and they they got Mayhem back. And so later on in the night, I text Julian and Inca, the, um, the girls' mom and dad, and I said, thank you for what the girls did. And as I was talking to Julian this morning, he said, we didn't know what they had done until you texted us and we asked them and they said, oh yeah, we, we saw this dog. And and the dog looked lost and the dog was scared. And so we went and we got it. We brought it back home. And, and he said, I was a pretty proud papa because he said a couple times a week, I tell him your moral compass is what you do when no one's looking. And I think about Jemiah and Jalea. When no one was looking, they saw a lost, scared soul. And what did they do? They didn't run from it. They ran toward it. And they, they held it and they comforted it. And they did that with no intention of anything greater than doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we, you know, love in, in public is being able to love when no one knows, when no one sees, um, to have that moral compass that points us true north. Love in public is being the child that sees a lost dog and runs toward it, to love it and bring it home. Oh, I think we got to end there. <laughs> That's great. And Mayhem's home. She's all good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been so good. I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm so proud of you. You're just one of my, like <laughs> my joys. You know, when you talk about like joy and light and hope. Sawyer is oh, on my list. That's an honor. Um, because I, I think your, your faith, your example, um, your, your commitment to living out Christ's love in action mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful. And so I'm just, and I'm so excited to see you become <laughs> Reverend Sawyer. <laughs> Someday. Someday. I'm going to be uh, like, I'm going to be cheering. I'm going to be like, woo woo. No, I'm, I'm excited because I think you inspire me because you, you, you love your love in public is a love for all it is a is a grace to know that there is hope in each of us i see that in you and in your actions and so i thank you oh thank you for doing that thank you and being that thank you so much absolutely i again want to thank my guest jolene letcher for being on today's show i am so grateful for her vulnerability by sharing her story and helping us learn to ask why May we learn from our experiences this past year to find joy and hope in the midst of pain and loss and turn those moments into opportunities for action for the sake of our neighbors. Throughout our conversation today, I could not help but to be reminded of what Paul writes in Romans 8, where he writes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what may come in this world and in our lives, we belong to God. And with that, I leave you this song by Tangled Blue called, I Will Not Let You Go. No matter what No matter what may come No matter what may come I will not let you By the wind, buried in winter and frozen. Remember the water that graced your head, rain in the spring that brings life from what's dead. The season will pass, but my promise. It does not depend